Hi guys, welcome to Talking in Bed, and today I'm going to talk about movies that I like. So I'm feeling very, like, <laughs> low motivation right now. Uh, I have a couple of tasks that are, you know, they're like, I don't want to say they're hanging over my head, they're just tasks that I have to take care of that I'm just not that interested in taking care of. And it is a constant struggle for me to um, make myself do things that I don't want to do. You know, sometimes I am in this mood where I've got kind of the motivation and other times I just don't. And the times that I don't are much more frequent than the times that I do. And it's not um, a lack of motivation in, in the sense that I'm depressed in some way. I definitely have, you know, I certainly have experienced that where you are just in this depression and you just can't get yourself to to do stuff and you know it's like you're literally I have literally put things off for months you know and so it's not that it's more there there are other kinds of like lack of motivation where it's just tiredness ooh <laughs> that was perfectly timed yawn um it's kind of like I haven't a lot of I have found that a lot of me doing things that are good for me or my life but I don't really like doing them a lot of it is just about tricking myself by having like a system of sorts in place so when it comes to cleaning, you know, and really keeping up with cleaning and not letting it build up to the point where it is a little bit grody. Um, and I've never had an issue with, <laughs> with true hoarding. I've definitely been deeply disorganized, like a full-on chaos kind of living situation but I have to say that when it came to particular elements of unhygienicness, I definitely drew the line a lot sooner than other messy people. Like I would never, even when I was a teenager and my room was kind of like a disaster zone, uh, I would never have like food plates in my room ever. I did not like having any kind of food plates hanging around. That was kind of the most, uh, it sort of to me is just an obvious thing of like, that's going to get really disgusting really quickly. And, um, so I was always very kind of like particular about that. Um, and what, uh, so me kind of just working on really trying to be a cleaner person, like dusting more often and vacuuming and stuff. It's been just kind of a little, just finding little tricks 
and systems that would make it not kind of removing the barriers, the psychological barriers about doing that kind of stuff. So I bought a different vacuum that's cordless and it's very lightweight and that makes vacuuming a significantly different experience than sort of lugging out the behemoth and plugging it in and moving the cord around and, you know, having to drag the the body thing on, <laughs> like the, you know, you have the hose and then you have the the vacuum itself. I don't know. That you kind of have to, like, drag around and... The cordless, lightweight, like, Hoover vacuum just makes life, it makes vacuuming a thousand times easier. And, um, I don't know, you know, like, I watch a lot of, like, organizing and cleaning videos on, on YouTube. And even if I, I kind of think of it as, like, a filtering thing. Like, they'll clean their whole house. They're great, I mean... Whoever figured out that niche on YouTube is a genius. You know, they'll it'll be like a 45-minute video of them kind of speed. You know, it's like a sped-up video of them cleaning their whole house with some, like, it's always these, like, kind of, like, white Christian moms doing it. And um, they'll have some really, like, upbeat, uplifting music playing in the background. And even if I have that playing and I watch two or three videos just as background noise, eventually it kind of like seeps in and I might do one or two things around the house that just, you know, just to clean up a little bit. And I think of it as like a filtering, you know, I'm not going to do like a top to bottom clean of my house, but it might motivate me to dust something or shake out a bath mat, you know. And um so I it, it's a learning process. I kind of realized at some point last year that when it comes to all of those you know like eating healthier, cleaning, you know, those things that are like it's it is an essential part of daily life. And if you don't have a method or a system for it, then it will pile up and, and you really, like, the whole thing will get away from you. Um, and I really started to understand the concept of, like, little baby steps of lifestyle choices is really what makes a difference there. You know, you can't take on the whole thing at once. It really has to be these, like, incremental steps you know and it has to be something that feels organic to you so if I watch somebody and they give me 10 pieces of advice on how to dust more often or how to reorganize my bedside table um it, it has to be something that feels natural to me so I really started to think about how I use my space. So instead of trying to make myself change where I put my clothes when I get home from work, you know, I'm being like, I'm going to hang up my clothes. I'm not going to do that. I won't do it. I know that I won't. It's just not what I naturally am going to be drawn to do. Uh, you know, but and and I because I don't care about my work clothes 
being like in nice <laughs> I don't have to look nice at work. I just have to the clothes just have to be functional. And so I realized that instead of throwing them on the couch, if I put a little like a little IKEA kind of box. I don't know how to explain that. It's like a little It's it's just a just picture like sort of a soft edged box, soft-sided box. I just put my clothes in there and I treat it like a hamper basically. And at least it's not sort of strewn around on the couch. And um just stuff like that. You know, it's you can take the advice of other people, but then you kind of translate it for yourself, but you have to really be aware of how you're living. And if you're doing something really unhealthy, then you might have to make a, you know, a genuine kind of change where it's not like you can work with what you've got. You really have to say like, well, I really have to quit smoking or whatever. Um... <laughs> I I guess that was on my mind, so I wanted to talk about that. I just kind of launched into that very naturally. I had had it in my head to talk about some movies that I liked when I was younger. In particular, there are two movies that are, like, popping into my head, which is one of them is a movie called Carpool that has... um. Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. I can't remember who the lead... Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold and Rachel Lee Cook is in it. And this movie, it's one of those movies... It's basically about this uh, this busy dad, busy business dad, who ends up having to uh, drive his two children and the neighborhood a couple of other neighborhood kids they're all part of like the daily school carpool and he has to drive them to school that day and um a mishap occurs when he goes into a grocery store and he and the children get taken hostage but it's in like a by tom arnold but it's in a fun-loving way. It's basically an adventure movie, but it is, I don't know how to explain it. It's a terrible movie, but it's so, I had so much fun watching this movie. Tons. I loved this movie. And I have to be honest, I don't know anybody who, I, I don't think it's that obscure. I mean, it has Tom Arnold. And to me, it's not an obscure movie. But um, I really, like, even on podcasts that are about, like, bad movies, I really, um, you never hear about it, ever. And it's such a bad movie. And I just looked it up on YouTube. And I... So five years ago, a channel called OCP Communications did a movie review slash rant on Carpool. It was produced in 1996. And I'm definitely going to watch it. Uh, it's only 25 minutes. I'm kind of tempted to watch it now. But anyway. Um, and there's 
so there's like three little kids, little, I mean, they're like eight or something. There's three younger kids. And then there is Rachel Lee Cook, who's a teenager at the time, and another boy whose name I don't know, but I will tell you, I thought he was the, I thought he was so handsome. And he has like this big crush on Rachel Lee Cook. And I was like, why can't that be me? <laughs> and, um, you know, I really loved in the 90s that there were these, like, uh, these adventure movies where, you know, just a perfectly normal day is happening. And then, um, you know, one little thing changes and uh, and the adventure starts. Now, a lot of times those end up taking you into like an alternate universe, you know, and it's a lot of kind of world discovery in those. And this one is just, it's just regular life. It's just that they have to, they're basically get caught in a, what would you say, like a high speed chase with the police. Like Tom Arnold is on the run. So the whole day is sort of spent where the, the, um, the dad and these kids are being held hostage, but the kids really start to like Tom Arnold because he's cool. And it's now that I'm describing it, it's actually a very kind of unique premise, I I have to say. And it really worked for me. And um, the man who plays the dad... He has been in some other stuff, but he was never really, like, a super famous guy. And besides Rachel Lee Cook, I don't know of any of the other kids uh, being in other stuff. And um, as the day kind of goes on, there are different things that um, this gang does to sort of evade the police and it's all under the threat of Tom having a gun and you know it's like <laughs> I mean how did they make this funny I don't know how they made this such a light-hearted romp but they did <laughs> I don't know oh my gosh it's so funny uh, no, I mean, the mo I'm sure it's not a good movie if I watched it now, but I have to say that reviewing kind of the memories in my head of it, I really still enjoy a lot of it. And I don't know, maybe it is kind of good. It's just this like forgotten movie, but I didn't forget it. I loved the movie Carpool. Um... Gosh, I'm trying to think about any other, like, funny stuff. I mean, there's so many different elements. And as I'm looking at the thumbnail for the video, it's sort of all coming back to me. Like, the dad, uh, he goes into this, like, fancy grocery store to get the kids donuts. And I think that they probably are like, oh, we don't want to go. Don't go there. They only have, like, you know, fancy donuts. But he wants to go there. And on the way to the grocery store and school, uh, the kids want to hear the Ramones, which I wasn't really familiar with the Ramones in the nineties. And to be honest, I mean, beyond their hits, I don't really know that much by the Ramones. Um, and God, you know, in the grocery store, I could like go through the whole movie. I really saw it a lot. And, um, 
And frankly, when I'm thinking back on stuff, the bits in it are funny. There's a part where Tom Arnold, when he's, he holds up the store. That's the thing. He holds up the store and gets money from the cashier. And the cashier is essentially supposed to be a very stereotypical gay man. And um, uh, Tom, for whatever reason, wants to get a millefeuille like one of those French pastries that has lots of layer, like a thousand layers of crunchy pastry in it. And it's this little bit of Tom and the cashier going back and forth on how to pronounce Milfoy. And I had never heard of Milfoy before that movie. And I always have that association with Milfoy. Every time I see, you know, if I see Milfoy anywhere, that's, I immediately think of this bit of the two of them pronouncing it. And Tom, at some point, he bites into a jelly donut during the host, you know, during the, the holdup. And he spills jelly donut, jelly on his shirt. And this old woman says, oh, just soak it in cold water, dear. And there's sort of this, he wants to be tough, but he's like, yeah, okay, yeah. And, um... There's like a whole bit with gummy bears, with the kids like squishing gummy bears into your teeth. I don't know, to make it look like they're bleeding. And there's a lot of like kind of uh, innocent sexual tension between Rachel Lee Cook and the other teenage boy. And um, the whole day, the mom of the two kids is, uh, or I'm sorry, it's three kids. He drives his three children and Rachel Lee Cook is a rant, you know, another kid from the neighborhood. And then there's this weird little like frog boy, like he wears goggles and a shower cap. He's just kind of like a weird kid, you know, and the dad hates him. And um, the mom is sick the whole day. That's why the dad ends up having to drive the kids is because the mom is very sick. She's like puking. She is like totally out. She's sleeping the whole day. The dad was supposed to go to work. He's like a workaholic and he had to make this big presentation to, I believe, the guy who owns the fancy grocery store where the holdup happened. That's kind of the big account. You know, that's how it always is in these movies. There's a big account that you have to get. And um, at some point, for some reason that I can't remember, everybody goes into a beauty parlor. And um, I feel I'm getting a little bit foggy somewhere. I know Tom dresses up in light drag to avoid a uh, a police, oh, what do you call it, like um, like a checkpoint. Because they're checking cars for this, like, you know, this hostage situation. And he sort of is dressed up like a woman and, you know, very, I guess, supposed to be an unattractive woman. And the dad is trying to indicate that this is the car and that's the guy. But it just is coming out, you know, of course, Tom is able to bamboozle the police officer And the children, everybody at some point spray paints the car a different color. And I want to say that the color is from the hair place. And, um, gosh, 
there's a point where uh, Tom, you find out that he's like a carny, basically. And they go to Tom's house and... Oh, it's kind of like with how with uh, Howard's mother on Big Bang Theory. You hear the voice of some, like, what you imagine to be this horrible-looking uh, woman just in another room. And he's kind of arguing with her. Very Howard and Howard, Mrs. Wallowitz kind of situation. You know, they're arguing via just across the room from each other. And uh, you get some really terrible ADR in that particular scene, which is, oh, what is audio? ADR is that thing where you can see it in kind of badly made movies where some bit of dialogue didn't get picked up by the mics or maybe in post-production they realized that um, a particular scene needed a little more explanation. So they have an actor come into the studio and just record the line, and they kind of just stick it in with a little, like, you know, very particular editing. They try to make it seem like somebody said something in the movie it never works. I don't know why movies continue to use ADR because it never, ever, ever works. Or maybe it's one or the other. Like when it works, you cannot tell and it's seamless. But it, if it's not that, it is so blare, like glaringly obvious that even as a child, I was like, what? You know, I didn't know what ADR was. And I was kind of like, well, that's obviously nobody saying that. So <laughs> what is this? You know, like uh, in this particular scene of this bad line of ADR, Tom Arnold is outside of his house and the mom, you hear the mom say something from inside the house and Tom just says back from outside of the house, the windows are not open. You know, there's nothing like they're talking through a window. He just says in like, what is recorded as a normal voice he just responds to what she's yelling and her yelling is not muffled in any way it's like it and I was like this is what <laughs> and um and yeah so eventually there's a lot of different kind of like mishaps you know they drive through a mall at one point. That's always an exciting one. Oh, my God. Rhea Perlman is in it. Rhea Perlman is in it as a, like, an angry meter maid. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. And she really, like, chases Tom Arnold down. And there's this amazing moment where they are, they've, they're driving through the mall for some reason. I can't remember how they got onto the second level. Oh, I think they drove up the escalator actually. They're driving around. And something that always bothered me is that this is a school day, right? And the mall is like full of people. And I always thought like, I don't really think the mall's that full on a school day. Now in the nineties, the mall would have been full of old people walking. <laughs> That's what that's what old people did in my area, at least. They would go to the mall and walk. And uh, at some point, there's like a big stunt where the car drives through this like 
plate glass to get out of the mall because there's no other way out. And of course, everybody's fine. And what eventually ends up happening is that, you know, it's like the meeting with the head of the grocery store was at 3 p.m. And at 3.02, the whole gang is in the conference room and they're telling, you know, they're trying to make this like wildly fantastic um, pitch to this guy and um, the donuts come up and the kids really make the selling point of like, you know, like Henneman's because you love your kids or whatever. And uh, the the old, you know, CEO is like, hey, you know, I have some grandkids. I really like them. I'm going to go with you guys. You know, it's like family first. And then there's almost like a prologue. Uh, at the end of it to kind of show how did things kind of turn out in the end and they all meet at like a carnival <laughs> and I I truly I don't know anybody else who like knows this movie or likes this movie and what is so funny is that I think so I what I learned from this uh you know, the thumbnail of this YouTube video is that this movie came out in 1996. And I believe that another favorite movie of mine, oh, came out in 1995, and that is Empire Records. And that's another movie that, now I know that Empire Records has a cult following much more so than Carpool. But I have to tell you that even when I was like in the early 2000s, I, I watched Empire Records as a kid. I loved Empire Records. Oh, that was like, I still love Empire Records. And, um, you know, it's it's got a lot of sort of ticks the boxes of a lot of sort of cheesy uh, uh, 90s movies. But I mean, the soundtrack is like in, in, incomparable, incomparable. Uh great just fantastic 90s alt rock uh soundtrack so i really find that funny that um 95 and 96 were these two like movies that i really have very strong positive feelings about I'm not even going to get into describing Empire Records because I think a lot more people know Empire Records than they do Carpool. If you've never watched Empire Records and you want to be transported to 1995, I highly recommend it. Highly. Um, and, <laughs> you know, the other movie that I had in mind was a movie called The Secret of Nim, which I would guess probably came out in 1989 or something. I want to say it was around then. Let's see. Um, 1982. Wow. So Nim, for those who don't know, is the National Institute for Mental Health. Which, if you think that's a weird topic for a children's movie, 
It really is. And I have to tell you that The Secret of Nim is such a dark movie. It is dark. Um, and I, I watched that when I was a little kid. I was born in 86. So, you know, the movie was already a little bit old. I did watch it throughout my childhood, but the the story of the secret of Nim is a lot more sort of involved. You know, Carpool is sort of like <laughs> it's very kind of like it's just gags, it's just comedy. The secret of Nim is about these mice that were being tested on by Nim and um the mice are sort of have developed a consciousness. And um, my God, there is like a creepy old owl that eats a moth, which was crazy. I there is like a there's a whole thing with like the farmer because the mice live in a field. They're field mice. <laughs> And there's a whole thing with the farmer kind of mowing over their home because it's uh it's going to be, you know, it's fall. So he has to harvest the wheat or whatever. And this it's about this little mommy mouse, Mrs. Oh, the German title has her name, Mrs. Brisby. And um, her children, her little mice children and... Um, uh, it's, I, I can't even describe to, I don't even recall like really what the premise of it is because there is this kind of like, there's this magical element to it where the mom has, the mom has sort of a special thing about her and she has to touch this red stone, this like, oh, and I just remember like the, the brightness of the stone red glowing stone that she puts her little mousy hands on and there's like fire or lava and the the mouse's like ho hovel what would you call it what do mice live in a nest is like it gets put into a cement block but that like preserves it i, I mean this movie is like all over the place it's very odd for a child to watch a movie that serious. It, it's really, it's not like, there are kind of, uh, I recall some kind of comic relief character that's in there. But really, it is, it's an intense movie for kids. It's very sort of, there's just a lot of moments where the mouse, mice, Mouses, the mice's lives are sort of at risk, and the animation is really incredible. Um, God, I you know, now I have to watch a review of The Secret of Nim. I wish I could remember more of The Secret of Nim and tell you guys about it, but it's really just these kind of like these uh scenes. And moments that are in my head, but I can't sort of string them together into a coherent to make sense of the the plot. And and I understood so little of what was actually going on. I just really found it. It was a compelling movie to me. And um, 
another movie that popped into my head that I absolutely loved as a kid was um I guess the full title is like The Adventures of Milo and Otis, but I just I think most people just call it Milo and Otis, which is a movie that was made in Japan by a ja- there's sort of a Japanese American crossover situation going on. And um it's about a pug and a little orange cat and they start out as puppies and kittens who are born on a farm and they go on this adventure and um you know they get taken very far away and it's all done with um voiceover and so the you know there's no sort of like the cat and the dog are not you know there's no implication that they are sp- like they're not making their mouths move in any way you know it's just kind of like when it's the cat's line the voice actor for the cat speaks you know they shot it very well I mean I really found it very convincing and it has these really incredible like nature shots in it there's a scene toward the end where um Milo and Otis, I can't remember which one is which. I don't recall which is the cat, which is the dog. They both meet another cat and dog. And, you know, like, these are two boy cat and dogs. And they meet a girl, girls. And so they start families. And there's this incredible scene where um, it's supposed to be very kind of related to seasons. And so the cat and the dog, they haven't been home on the farm, you know, in a long time. Maybe like a year. Well, I mean, I don't know, probably longer, right? It takes longer for a dog to get to like that place of maturity to reproduce. So it's been a long time. And um, it, it was like they were going through winter and having to deal with all of that. And... And then it's either the cat or the dog's girlfriend, (laughs) wife, uh, has babies. But they show all these amazing shots of, like, the winter thawing and, you know, ice melting. It's so, it's such a beautifully shot movie. And um, I remember it being very funny. I thought it was a really funny movie because the cat is really like precocious and the dog is very cautious. So it's an odd couple kind of thing. And um, I have very fond memories of that. And it really wasn't until maybe in the last two years that it sort of came to my attention through the internet that there was nobody on set checking that these animals were being protected. And essentially the suggestion is that it's very likely that several cats and dogs were killed in the making of this movie. There's a one particular scene. There's a lot of kind of like instances that feel, they, they feel real. They feel naturally it's supposed to be about this cat and this dog kind of going out into the wilderness and having to deal with wild animals and how do they deal with that. And um, there's a lot of scenes that as a kid, I just didn't think 
about the cat and the dog actors having to go through this and being cats and dogs not understanding that this was not like this wasn't really okay there's a particular scene where the cat is in a box floating down a river and a bear a real bear in the movie a bear actor goes up to the box is kind of pawing at it sniffing at it i don't recall if the cat is reacting in a scared way you kind of think the cat would but sometimes animals can be a little bit funny right i mean we've all seen videos of sort of unlikely animal friends now they weren't acting friendly in the movie but Sometimes I think if a if an animal has never seen another kind of animal, they don't always have that scared reaction. They sometimes they have more of a, a tentatively curious reaction. I don't recall the cat. The cat certainly didn't seem terrified, but it is a real bear, like you know, sort of pawing at this kitten. And another scene is. And these are sort of the most damning scenes is uh, the cat. What does it try to do? He wants to get an egg, a seagull egg. They're like now they're at the ocean. They've reached the coastline. It's never explained what country this is in. The voice, the voice acting is British, but it's like obviously not Britain. It's not. I don't know that it's Japan either. <laughs> I don't know where this was filmed. I I might look that up. But um, the cat wants to get an egg or a bird or something. It wants to eat it. Why would a cat want to eat an egg? And it's on this like this rocky. Just it's on all these rocks at the coast you know at the water's edge and it's where all these seagulls are and the cat gets attacked by seagulls so it's like that wasn't like the cat actor like choosing to do that that was like the handlers like put the cat there and somehow like created this situation it was like it's the it's something like that. Like, how did they create a situation where the they could get the cat to take the egg or whatever it was? And the seagulls are, like, attacking it. How did they do that? You know, like, that's not... I... I <laughs> when you think about it, it's like, holy shit. Like, that's not cool. This is the worst one, though. Is that there's a scene... Also at the coast. I don't know why. I can't remember this, but the cat, (laughs) this poor fucking cat, right? There are a couple of things with the dog. Maybe the dog was in the, had, oh, oh, I'll get to the dog. Well, the dog had like a, a crab on its nose. Like the pincher of a crab was pinching the dog's nose. And as a kid, I just, I didn't think to myself, that's a real dog that they've 
they've gotten it. You know, the I will get to the cat thing. I, that's the worst one, so I want to save it. I'm thinking about the crab scene. The dog, they have this crab. It's on a, whatever, a log. And the dog goes up to the crab seemingly of its own volition and is sniffing at it and kind of pawing at it a little bit. And then the crab grabs its nose. And I have to wonder, because the voiceover is sort of describing or having in moment, in the moment reactions to the things that are occurring, right? And I have to wonder if the people creating the movie didn't sort of think, okay, let's kind of get these animals together and we'll just see what happens and we'll kind of write it retroactively. Because they couldn't have known, like, that, of course, the crab was going to grab the dog's nose, you know, or that the dog would even be willing to go up to the crab. So I, I have to wonder, I have to think that there was some, you know, they filmed, they had ideas about what they wanted to film. They filmed stuff and let it play out as it, as it just would naturally. And whatever they came away with, whatever was the best shot, the most interesting, that's what got put into the movie. I would guess. Now, the scene with the cat, this is the worst bit, is that there is this cliff. And I can't remember why or how, but the cat jumps off of the cliff. You know, and in the movie, you see this cat, legs and arms spread akimbo spread eagle and it just kind of it falls in the water and it has really i never realized that they probably did that shoot a couple of times and they were just throwing cats into the water you know the the cat that ended up in the water and the cat that they filmed coming out of the water were different now, I don't have any evidence of this. Uh, people have made, I, I've read this like on Reddit and I think I saw um, a YouTube video talking about this and that just suggesting that this is probably what happened. And it makes sense. I mean, how do you film a cat? How do you protect animal rights and film a cat being thrown off of a cliff and into the water? I don't think you can. So, <laughs> um, I'm kind of interested in doing a little bit of research there. So I'm just going to read the, uh, the, ver the answer on Quora. The question is, did animals really die in the making of the adventures of Milo and Otis? And the top answer is by Megan Liscom, uh, who studied at English at University of California, Irvine. I this was answered in January of 2018. The Adventures of Milo and Otis is a Japanese film released in 1986. The English language version featured narration by Dudley Moore and was released in 1989. The film was shot over a period of three years without supervision from the American Humane Society. So this was filmed in Japan. I find that odd. It just... That is not what I thought Japan looked like. 
The organization typically responsible for those no animals were harmed notes you'll often see in movie credits. When the inventors of Milo Notice was first released, Australian animal rights groups called for a boycott, pointing to rumors that over 20 kittens were killed during production and alleging that even more animals were harmed or put into dangerous situations. Only some of which I have described. There are many more. (laughs) The American Humane Association attempted to investigate these rumors but could never find hard evidence to substantiate them. In America, the movie ended up with the approval of the American Humane Society despite the rumors and lack of supervision. Its American credits contain this vague message regarding animal safety. The animals used were filmed under strict supervision with the utmost care for their safety and well-being. Because the rumors have never been sufficiently proven or disproven, they persist to this day. Personally, this was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, but having heard these allegations, I don't think I could stomach watching it again. I personally think that I... (laughs) Does that make me sound terrible? I could probably stomach watching it again. I just think, you know... I I would make a separation I, I think that i would have too many fond feelings associated with the movie i would get swept up in kind of the the cuteness of it uh, unfortunately they did make a milo and otis too which I, I think i learned about that like long after and i was even when i was a kid i was kind of like we all know sequels just suck so <laughs> let's not even go down that road let's leave a legend a legend okay um, <clears throat> so those were a couple of my favorite movies when I was very young. These are movies from really when I was very young. Uh, you know, the oldest that I was was when Carpool came out in 1996. I would have been 10. Um, so these are really kind of formative movies for me. They really were very significant to me. I mean, there's a lot of other, I watched, you know, obviously I watched a lot of movies as a kid. So, uh, you know, there's different, uh, elements, but these are some more kind of niche movies, I guess. They're, they're movies that kind of rattle around in my head, but nobody ever talks about them. You know, it's not movies that, it's not sort of a beloved Disney classic where you can't escape being reminded. But they still held a lot of significance for me. Um, and it is really, it's fun to like think back on those movies and um, just recall kind of the... <laughs> the strong memories that I have associated with them. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed this movie. Uh, my God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And um, maybe I'll record again tomorrow. And we'll just see. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, if you have any questions, comments, whatever, uh, my email is in the description. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna leave you with a yawn. Have a great day and, uh, talk to you later. Bye!